She covers the Chicago Bulls for the Chicago Tribune. We welcome Julia Poe onto Hoopsology. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on to the show. The Bulls, as you can tell, I'm just wearing a sweatshirt. Um, soft spot in my heart and um, always looking just to have great insiders to just um, provide this great information just regarding um, what's happening in Chicago. And honestly, they're a team that I've kind of been in conflict with because I think even before this season, this full disclosure, I've just been just disband this team, trade everybody, start over again. But I, I feel like this has happened within the last few years, correct me if I'm wrong, where the Bulls will go on like kind of a great winning streak. You kind of get, they get your hopes up and it kind of, at least for me, re-chase my thinking in terms of what's going to happen with this team. So um, as of right now, the Bulls are 17 and 21. They've won two in a row. Um, I just want to get your 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 thoughts on just this point of the season right before MLK Day. Have the Bulls met your expectations, fall beneath them? Like kind of what's your overall thoughts right now? Oh, man, I mean, I don't think this season has gone the way that anyone would have expected it to. Uh, there's some things that have gone exactly kind of to script of what I could have expected in terms of some of the flaws that this team had. There's other things like Kobe White's breakout year, like the way that this team actually is improving their three-point volume that I did not really expect to be fulfilled to this level, especially at this point of the season. So it's been a little bit hit or miss. Uh, like you said, I think that there are parts of this team that feel like an exact kind of uh, perfect example of why to be patient, like Kobe, like Patrick Williams, some of those players. There's other parts like kind of the Zach Levine project, just what that central three looks like that are a really good example of why being patient sometimes does not garner different results. So I think it's it's a really interesting season, kind of a case study for a lot of different things that I think a lot of GMs around the league should be looking at and kind of learning from, uh, hopefully starting with his actual Bulls front office, learning from some of those mistakes. So do you think with Kobe and Patrick Williams, do you think that's enough to build the kind of the team around in terms of a lot of the trade rumors of getting rid of Zach Levine, the amount DeMar DeRozan has been thrown out there, like kind of, you know, removing from kind of the core of veterans to kind of a a youth movement is, is Kobe and Patrick kind of the answer to that? Or do you think they're more kind of support players? I think it's a really, really good start. I think, you know, it's kind of piece by piece. They're in different places. Kobe's under contract. Patrick is not. So you kind of have to look at those two things. I think the growth that Kobe has gone through this year, part of it is singular to who he is as a person, as a player. Part of it is a reflection of some of the player development stuff that they've been working on, some of the kind of that infrastructure they've brought in. And so I think, like I said, it's a start. It's it's a really good foundation. I think you've got some really good pieces in there to build with. It's also not enough. Like you have to have more than that. You have to have, more of a a baseline you can't just build a a youth movement around one player who's about to graduate from being young to being a little bit more in kind of that like middle part of his career in Kobe and so I think you know it's a great start but it's not necessarily what I would look to as being like you can take those guys and package a couple other pieces around them and all of a sudden have a playoff contending team that's that's not true there have to be some major changes made That being said, I think Bulls fans have a lot to be excited about with having Kobe as kind of one of those central players that they can build around and kind of give them a little bit of a roadmap of like, okay, this is one of our key guys. Let's see what kind of 
you know, tempo and ideology we want to build around him. Julia, in your opinion, where does Alex Caruso fall in these plans? Because I think just about everybody loves Alex Caruso around the NBA community. Uh, do you see him as this integral piece that could be used as, as kind of like a maintain that, that hard work ethic kind of culture moving forward? Or where do you see Alex Caruso on, on the context of this team? And Crusoe is so interesting, right? Because he is, I mean, he's a game changer. He changes your locker room. He changes your culture on the court. Um, He's so valuable in so many ways where he's a guy that you bring into a team. He's going to change the way that every player on your roster plays, right? He's going to make your defense look so much better. All of a sudden, he's an incredible three-point shooter this year because he just worked his tail off on that through the summer and through the last few summers. He brings a lot on the court. I think for the Bulls, the strange piece of that is knowing, okay, if we're not a playoff contending team this year, and maybe we're not even a playoff contending team next year, Caruso is one of those trade assets that can help you get there. He's a guy that should be, I think, at least for casual and NBA fans, for diehard NBA fans, that's a guy you want to see playing deep into the summer every year. That's not a guy Mm -hmm. that should be on vacation in June. Uh, just quite simply. And so I think the more years of that career that they kind of spend with him not being able to elevate past that, I think the more that maybe, I think the more that maybe Caruso's camp would want to look at that. I think the more that the Bulls would have to look at that just in terms of like the trade asset that he is, you can't just sit on that and have him grinding out defense and like somersaulting across the court night after night on a team that is still below 500. It just kind of, you look at it and you're like, these things do not match up in the equilibrium of how this should be working. And moving, I'm always fascinated by teams like this that are kind of in your, you know, seven to 10 range. I mean, more recently that's the play in tournament range, but where you're kind of like caught in this limbo, like we, we have, enough success on the court to keep things entertaining and interesting, Mm -hmm. but, you know, realistically in our heart of hearts, like, yeah, probably not advancing unless we get a really, really lucky break, which just about every title run requires probably not advancing deep into the playoffs. So do you see in, in terms of what you've witnessed before, do you have any indicators of where, management feels about being in that location and if they're looking to try and go go all in and elevate beyond that or if there is real sentiment and validity to you know what justin alluded to earlier like Mm -hmm. is is there any sort of desire for a file fire sale because some ownership groups don't want to do that Right. I I do not get the sense that this is a front office that is looking to do some big blow it up movement at any point in time. That's just never the indication we've gotten. Uh, Not out of a lack of aggressiveness, but out of a willingness to take one move at a time, which I don't necessarily think is an issue. I think Mm -hmm. the issue is the way that this team stalled out for a couple of kind of those trade deadlines they didn't make any moves at a couple trade deadlines. And so now it feels like, okay, you didn't make a move. You didn't make a move. You didn't make a move. So you have to make three all at once right now. 
that's just not how this front office is going to work. So they obviously have their big piece right now that they're working on with Zach Levine. That's kind of been the big focus of this year. Uh, Try to do what you can given the circumstances around that. But this is not necessarily from any indications that I've gotten kind of general feeling around the beat is just that this is not a front office that is going to go in and be like, okay, we tried it didn't work. Let's blow it all up, especially with kind of where some of these contracts are at. They're in a really interesting timing with where, you know, Vooch's contract is at versus Levine versus DeRozan. You know, they really did. I I think there's some feelings among fans with the frustration of like, what did you think was going to happen? They legitimately thought that that central group was going to work. And you can criticize that decision and that expectation as much as you want to, but they wanted to make sure that they rode that out. And I think, you know, there were fans that were ready to see Kobe White be gone before the season who I think would swallow that and delete those tweets and pretend that that never happened. I think there's some of these players that, again, have really shown why patience is worth it. And I think that they're going to look back and be like, that was worth that. There's other situations where they were not they were they were maybe a little bit too patient, but that doesn't mean that they're just going to immediately start rushing to try to kind of make up for that. They're still going to be a certain level of deliberate thinking and deliberate moves. They're not just going to get rid of, as far as I can tell, at least they're not going to get rid of Zach and Damar at the same time and then go from there. They're going to work one variable at a time and see what is working and what's not working and kind of move through that. If that makes sense. The Zach Levine component is very interesting. And I want to get your perspective on, you know, why he's been an all-star in Chicago. And I think on like the surface level, you see his stats kind of wonder why doesn't it work, but you kind of watch it on the court. You kind of see, you know, he's not, may not be the right fit in Chicago. I'm just wondering from your perspective, since he's gotten there, why hasn't, why do you think he hasn't been able to to be the leader on this team in terms of taking, you know, the bulls to the next level, or do you think he's a scapegoat and he doesn't deserve that blame? Do you think it's kind of, you know, not on him so much, but how the team is built around him. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like a many layered response to that. Um, You know, first off, Zach obviously is an incredible scorer, very good player. Uh, He has some visible weaknesses in his game. He has to lock in more on defense sometimes. That being said, he was one of the most high volume players on a team last year that was fifth in defense. So kind of have to level that out sometimes. I think the issue is is that Zach was stuck in a situation here too long where he had to be the guy. And when you do that, you kind of get into, I think people will get a little lazy sometimes calling it like iso ball or hero ball, but you get into a certain rhythm, a certain way that you approach offense. And then when you come in and you actually finally have the personnel to start doing a little bit more of this like assist first, fluid, spread the ball, get every kind of feed everyone, everyone eats that kind of offense. I think it's really hard to break out of that. It's, it's kind of, you know, a lot of people get stuck just in any type of work environment where you kind of get into that quagmire of like, this is who I've always been. How do I readapt around new personnel and new expectations? So I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, Zach would be great as someone who can kind of work a little bit more off ball and have maybe some other players who are, visibly expected to be the number one scoring guy and he can play off of that and he doesn't have to be number one every night so I think it's like a combination of all of those paired with an incredibly unfortunate injury timing this year I mean just the timing on that was just insanely unfortunate uh obviously there was a lot of kind of questions surrounding that and now he's having to work back from an injury at a really 
tough time ahead of the trade deadline. But I, I think it was kind of just a combination of things continuing to go wrong where he felt like he needed to be the guy and step up in a way that was kind of antithetical to what he was being expected to do with the rest of the offense and then not having enough pieces around him. So it's, it's a little bit of both. I still fully believe that he's going to be able to find success elsewhere, but it does seem like it's just stalled out a bit, even, you know, obviously he's fresh off an injury, but you just look at the last couple games back and it's, he's just trying to figure it out in this offense. And it's really hard to tell if that's ever going to click. How is he reacting to the the criticism and just kind of the overall feeling that like there's a vibe of him? Because <laughs> people either a want him gone or just it's just not working out and they should just go their separate ways. Um, has it taken a toll on him mentally, or does, do you think he has some hope to kind of make it work in Chicago? Like, kind of what's the, what's the vibe? Do you think as best you can, just yeah. kind of him from a kind of maybe if you're from like a kind of mental health standpoint, just you know he is human too. Like, you know, I'm sure he's not a cyborg in terms of just you know he, he's put a lot of the blood, sweat, and tears. Despite how I feel about him, he I mean he's became an all star for this team. And I'm sure it has not been easy on him just hearing kind of this constant criticism. Sure, I mean some guys will. I mean, some guys really don't read. I don't think Billy Donovan like checks social media at all. He jokes about that all the time. <laughs> Zach's open about like he sees it. He he hears it. He knows. He knows what people are thinking and saying about him. And uh, I think one of the things that has always been very visible to me just covering him is like Zach cares a lot. And that can come across as sensitivity, I think, or defensiveness sometimes. It's just like a deep well of like caring and um that obviously can be one of the components to like some of the mentality issues that he has is that he cares so much that he's like, Oh my God, I just have to do this. I have to take this on. And then that's how you get a guy out there scrambling and, and forcing things a little bit too much. Um, I think in all the responses that we've gotten from him, he seemed to be trying to be level headed and push through it. We haven't heard any like hints or suggestions from teammates that they're having any issues. So I think that's normally where you would see if a guy's kind of wilding out a little bit because of that, you'd hear it and see it from the teammates. He's still been locked in with DeMar. He, you know, was traveling with the team during the injury. So I think it's been fairly good overall. Um, we've talked about this before on the beat that just other players that are trying to force their way out of a team, you do not see around cheering on rookies and doing some of the stuff that he's doing in the locker room. So it's been, it's been, I'd say pretty level headed. You can tell how much he cares. And I don't think, I don't think him wanting to go to a situation seems intrinsically tied to him wanting to leave Chicago, if that makes sense. It feels like those are two separate things and he's not hit a point where he doesn't want to be, at least from what he's showing us, it doesn't seem like he's hit a point where he's like sick of being a Chicago bull. He just wants to win and like, they're not winning. And I think any player at a certain point, you hit that point and you're like, this is just not making sense anymore. How are things looking with Lonzo Ball and, and his potential return? And what are, what are things looking like for him? You know, everyone's getting yeah. excited hearing that he's running again. <laughs> what are you seeing? So he's supposed to be running again. We still do not have proof that he is oh. running again yet. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so, you know, we, we, try, we try to balance how much we're asking for updates. He's not here in Chicago. He's in L.A., He'll come back and kind of do check-ins with the team, but he has this like really good setup for recovery with rehab specialists and everyone out in Los Angeles, which is also where his family is. So that's like, he's out there full-time just kind of checking back in with Chicago. Um, so the latest on him, 
Billy Donovan said last month that he is expected to get back to running this month. That could be jogging. That could be straight ahead sprints. There's obviously a lot of tears running, I think sounds exciting to people, but that's kind of that first step. Uh, Cutting is actually a much bigger deal for someone in his position, being able to do lateral movements side to side, basically being able to like actually use that knee in an effective way. That'll be that next step. I think the best news that we've heard is just the fact that like he's pain-free doing normal everyday stuff. There was a period there where that was not true for about a year. And I think just that's the kind of thing that can wear on someone and make someone not even want to kind of push through. Uh, and that just affects your life as like a father and a, a person. So that that's kind of the good news. Again, he's shut down for the entire year. There's no hope that he's coming back this season. I, a lot of fans got, excited about that and we had kept having to, having to be like no no that's not happening but uh i think the the goal is that if he can get through that running then he can start doing the cutting and then he can start a very extensive period to maybe be back up to basketball shape and, and working toward those things this summer and this fall we always like to ask our guests um that that cover teams kind of the the temperature of the fan base and I want to get your perspective of not only this season, but just what makes kind of the Chicago Bulls fan base unique just in terms of their home court and how they just, you know, approach the relationship with the team. Are they more impatient than other fan bases around the league? Um, What's kind of, as best you can tell, bring us kind of into kind of what you hear from just the fans in terms of maybe them being impatient or just kind of the comments Mm -hmm. you, you probably hear on a daily basis from them. Yeah, I think there's a certain level of like understandable um, urgency from Bulls fans right now. I think being a Chicago sports fan right now is pretty tough. I mean, even the Chicago Sky aren't great anymore. So that's kind of where they're at, just trying to battle through finding one team that can piece together some wins. Uh, I think for Bulls fans specifically, there's just this feeling of, impatience with the front office, especially with Arturo's and this new group that's in the front office. Um, some of that, again, I, I feel is earned. Some isn't. Uh, but I think, I think there just is like a sense of urgency. They're, they're doing a lot of uh, the team's doing a lot of stuff, kind of leaning into nostalgia this year. They're doing the first ring of honor uh, this week. So that's been a huge focus for fans. And I think as much as people love, reveling in those memories and reveling in kind of the memory of the 90s there's a lot of people I mean I even fall into this camp I was born in 97 who like people that look back and they have no memory and no connection kind of with that era of the team and I think as that becomes more and more of the fan base from my limited time here it just feels like there's a sense of like that's not enough anymore and even the Derrick Rose years are so far in the past that there's just a sense of like we have this name, we have this reputation, and it's so many decades old. And I think that's starting to carry a certain weight of frustration within fans. And it's understandable. I, I get how that feeling must be. Um, that being said, the the willingness for excitement is so high. This team has to do so little to get fans all the way bought back in. We've even seen that just this season with having one young player that they really like rooting for. They're like, they're so ready to go. They're ready to buy that jersey. They're ready to show up at games. So I think the Bulls are actually in kind of like a nice spot where you just have to give them like get above 500 and these fans will be all the way bought back in. It's just 
a low bar to reach and they're still not reaching it. If they do, I think that fan base is going to go absolutely insane for it, but they just have to reach that kind of that 500 bar and get back into the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you outlined kind of uh, an interesting dichotomy there. I mean, there's, there's like the championship history, which I mean, most franchises, you know, unless you're like the Celtics or the Lakers, I mean, you're, you're, pretty sold in you you would sign the dotted line to have that championship history that the bulls mm. have i mean comes with some high expectations i would imagine just from the casual fan in town or um across the country but then you know this big undercurrent of diehard support that you just mm-hmm. mentioned yeah definitely definitely it's it's an interesting environment to be in i mean i think everyone who lives in chicago would say that they're like passively a bulls fan but when you just, again, when you have the history issues, I think easy for people to kind of tune out and drop off a little bit, but they're so eager for it to get back. Like just one little win streak and fans will just be pouring back into it. They just have not been able to to hit that. Like I said, a very low bar for entry there on that one. In terms of kind of trying to judge the development of this team. I mean, you mentioned Mm -hmm. Patrick Williams, of course, Kobe White and others. Does Coach Donovan get a little bit more leeway, you know, maybe in spite of the record because of obviously the injury types of issues is Mm -hmm. not not something he can be blamed for. Um, Do you feel like he's getting maybe more lenience as a result of that and maybe from the development of, of some of this youth? And I'm not even trying to imply he should be on the hot seat. Yeah, definitely. It was interesting. We came into the season and you'd see a lot of this is you can't put too much stock, obviously, into like casual betting odds type things. But you'd see the lines of some of these like unofficial lines on who's the first coach that's going to be gone. Billy Donovan's right at the top of them. That's just not the case. Uh, Mm. The front office is incredibly bought in with Billy. Uh, There's a general sense among the executive group that they they really like him. That's their guy. I think, like you said, the youth development stuff is part of it. He is really good with those younger players. Uh, he's put together some really nice stuff with the defense. Like that defense last year was very strong. Uh, the team didn't win. They couldn't shoot. But with working with the pieces that he had, they've been able to make sizable improvements, whether it's going from dead last in three-point attempts last year to being able to lift up at least into like kind of a – middle tier with that he's been able to make growth with what he has and I think I think the front office has been able to look at and see we took some bets on thinking these pieces would work and they didn't but you're still in here coaching through it um so I would not I would not consider him close to a hot seat I think the I think the front office feels really strongly that that's kind of their guy and they feel good with that um, and I, I do think that some of the youth development has kind of been reflective of that. They're, they're trying to bring in more uh, kind of support staff around that as well, bringing in shooting coaches, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I just can't see this team moving on from Billy in like a, a swift way. Want to get your perspective on just the Eastern Conference overall. <laughs> um, right now, the Bulls are at ninth. Um, kind of further back from like Cleveland, the Knicks and the Pacers, um, the Magic have really taken ascension and you have kind of the um, elder statesmen of the Sixers, Bucks and the, the Celtics. Um, anything has surprised you or um, what are you looking for headed towards the all-star break in terms of how the, the Eastern Conference has shook it out so far? 
Definitely. I mean, the first thing I think is interesting is, you know, you look at the standings this morning uh, and you've got five teams locked in with the exact same record directly above the Bulls. I think that's incredibly interesting. We always knew coming into this season that there would be the top one or two spots in the East and then everything else underneath that was going to be kind of open. I don't think I expected it to be quite this open at this point in the season. Like that parity there is strong. And it's like this weird dichotomy of parity on paper, but there are some of those teams that are in that kind of tied slate that I feel like are a lot stronger than others. Um, you know, you've got teams like the Pacers that are really starting to put things together uh, with, with, you know, kind of young stars. I think from here on out, A, figuring out what, what the Bucks are going to do, I don't think I quite expected that meltdown to go like that. Um, and it doesn't seem like that's not something that they can't buy at this point in the season, but man, they're, they're really in it right now. And I think it's interesting to see when a team like that, that is kind of the elder statesman, like you talked about when they get in a mud, which direction it goes in, especially when you took a swing on a player like Dame. So that's kind of the one, especially just regionally that I really am interested in watching folks here in Chicago are always very interested in Milwaukee and the bucks and just kind of what's going in, going on close by. So that's one that I definitely interested to keep an eye on. Miami just feels like they can win or lose any game, which has felt true for a while. And we saw how that went last year with them going to the finals. So I think just everything feels a little more open than I expected. It is interesting how there is that big five game jump between ninth and everyone higher than that in the East, but we'll kind of see how that shakes out. I feel like this is the point of the season where some of that parody begins to dip off just because people start getting injured and then you just kind of got to go from there and see what you can work with, with your personnel. Julia, this has been a fantastic chat. Thanks for spending some time with us. Please let, her know, let us know where we can find you on social media and then any other projects you're working on as well. Definitely. I am on Twitter at by Julia Poe. And then just uh, check out the Chicago Tribune. We do great work across all sports. Um, and I'll be there covering the Bulls all season. We're back on the roads soon. So just looking, looking forward to get onto that. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Julia. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Hoopsology, presented by Boss Life. If you have comments or questions about this episode, please email hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, leave us a review on iTunes and follow us on all social media platforms.